Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited for my first solo episode since the very first episode. So uh, I decided it was a good time to check in and explain a little bit more about my story and yeah, just go a little bit more in depth. So um, today's topic, if you didn't already read the title, is the five things I wish I'd known when I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So the first thing is that it affects a lot more than your joints. And I honestly didn't quite understand that all the way when I first got diagnosed. Um, I did understand that it was an autoimmune disease, but I still had this kind of mental disconnect that I think a lot of people have um, around the word arthritis. So I just thought, okay, well, it's autoimmune disease, but it's really only affecting my joints. But actually, you know, rheumatoid arthritis is a systemic disease that, beca and because it's autoimmune, I now understand that um, it doesn't just target your joints. It happens to target the synovial lining of your joints, but it also 
targets other body systems, other organs like heart, lungs, and eyes, which is definitely one I've had quite a bit of difficulty with. And, you know, you could have these more systemic symptoms like fatigue and brain fog that for a while I thought were related to my medications, um, but they actually can be just related to the disease itself. And something that goes along with this idea that it affects more than just your joints is that it is a chronic lifelong condition. So you still have it, even if it, you might be going into remission for a little while, and that still has an effect on your life. So again, basically a little theme throughout this you'll see is that things that seem uncomplicated at first are actually complicated. <laughs> it's kind of like a good life lesson, I guess I would say. I thought, okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll have this rest of my life, but if I can just, quote unquote, if I can just get it under control or just figure it out, then it won't really affect my life that much. And for example, I was in medicated remission for a while and it didn't have that, the rheumatoid arthritis didn't have as big of an adverse effect on my life, but I still had to spend a lot of time managing it. I had to go get the blood work. I had to talk to my insurance to make sure things were approved. I had to make my every three month, you know, blood work appointments. And I just had to factor it into my life decisions. You know, I had to think about the fact that I was more prone to infection and alter my behavior based on that when I would be doing things like going swing dancing, which is a very, very, you know, touchy feely thing where you're, ex you know, exchanging germs with a lot of different people, you know, so it affects your life, even when you're not symptomatic, or it can affect your life, I would say, um, going along again, this theme of arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis affects more than just your joints, it a affects your whole body, and then b affects you know, your life, and especially as a young person. So I, I just mentioned things like appointments and just having to learn really early on to be your own advocate, but it also can affect, you know, your sex life, your romance, and your choice of careers. And I know that a lot of my um, quote unquote roommates or friends with rheumatoid arthritis have also, you know, drastically changed what they thought they might do in their life based on arthritis, the rheumatoid arthritis. They might not, it isn't to say that, oh, you can't do anything that you wanted before. There are plenty of people with RA who are doctors or, you know, other, you know, high intensity careers, but it's important to take it into account. For example, for me, even though I wasn't very symptomatic at the time I chose to go to grad school, I chose occupational therapy over a more physically demanding field like physical therapy for many, many reasons. But one of them was that I wanted a career that could, um, I could have a lot of flexibility around and, and, and PT has less flexibility than OT. Number two is that rheumatoid arthritis will affect your social life in some way. It's beyond just the joint. So this is kind of like a subsection of point number one. I had a hard time making these points, dividing them into categories because I have one of those brains where I see the connections between things. And so I'm always like, oh, that relates to that. But anyway, so, you know, it affects your social life, affects things like dating and your friendships. And I think the thing that I see over and over again on social media is people who feel alienated. Um, so that's one of the negative things is that you can feel alienated from friends and family because they don't understand. And literally just minutes before recording this, I 
I saw, you know, um, someone who said that people just keep thinking that my arthritis is only in my knee or only in my hand. And it's really my, it's in my whole body, you know? And that's why when someone's like, where's your arthritis? I'm like, it's everywhere, you know, it's, um, and what, or what happened to your hand? My immune system. That's my little joke. I think knowledge is power. So preparing yourself when you first get diagnosed to understand that this isn't just this kind of simplistic mentality of like, I'm just going to live my life perfectly exactly how I did before. And like, it's not going to affect anything. You know, I think some people do. I think, first of all, you do you, whatever helps you function in your world. What I'm trying to say is that maybe don't be blindly optimistic about this idea that I'm not going to let it affect me because it's pretty hard to not let it affect you. And for me, I'd rather face that head on than like be kind of in denial. So that's something when I look back and kind of wish that I had understood that again, instead of just being like, okay, fine, I'm just going to take these meds and like not worry about how this might actually affect my life long-term. You know, just consider prepare yourself for how you're going to explain it to friends and family. And actually that's why in my course, the rheumatoid arthritis roadmap, I have a whole section about how RA affects your social life in general. And that includes things like how to address other people's misunderstandings and misconceptions. And then also how it um, affects specific relationships like marriage and dating. And, you know, there's tons of research out there. It's really fascinating as an occupational therapist, I've had the chance to look at a lot of the research and there's research on how chronic illnesses in general affect marriages and not just the person who's who has the illness, it affects the partner too. That's something to, again, take, look at it head on. Don't try to be necessarily in denial is my general advice. Again, if denial helps for you, I'm going to like, at the end of the day, it's all about what works for you. But my observation for of others has been that denial is um, a short-term strategy and it, it rarely is necessarily the best thing for you long-term. But again, if to get you over a hump, sometimes you just have to have a little denial. The other thing about how it affects your social life though, is it can affect your social life in a lot of good ways in the sense that you know who's really there for you in your own pre-existing friend group, but you also get to know new people. You're part of a community, whether you know it or not, when you get diagnosed, you're part of an online community and a global community of people with your same diagnosis. That's been really incredible to me. I mean, I got diagnosed in 2003. So before social media, like there was really no way when I got diagnosed to connect with other patients other than like in-person events, like the Jingle Bell Run for the Arthritis Foundation or in the waiting room. And that can lead to a lot of alienation, especially for young people. Like for me being diagnosed at age 21 and then going to a waiting room at the rheumatologist and being like, wow, I'm the only young person here. Or people like assume you're there waiting for your parent or grandparent, you know, and you're like, no, I'm here for me, you know? Um, and honestly, that didn't really bother me too much, but I know a lot of patients that gets kind of gets them down. Um, and so, you know, but knowing that, wait, you're not the only one that's had that waiting room experience. You know, when you go online and you connect in groups, you can, um, un feel like you're not alone and you know, and not even just feel that you're not alone, you know, because you see other people's stories and you can connect to them. And when you've been through something that kind of makes you think about your own mortality and think about like, okay, wait, I can't take this stuff for granted. I can't take my body for granted. Like, I don't know that it's actually going to work forever. Even as, as starting to get that kind of perspective as a young person, it does change your outlook on life. So um, I've, I've been really amazed at the friendships I've developed and it's particularly since the pandemic, actually. One last thing about that, I'm publishing a free training this week 
on um, how to overcome overwhelm through online health literacy. I swear I try so hard not to have super long titles, but this is just who I am as a person. It's hard. So, um, so what that is, is it's actually a um, lesson from the course that I decided to make a free preview lesson because it's so important. And I see people get confused all the time trying to find health information about their rheumatoid arthritis online. And they get really confused and they go down rabbit holes. And it's like a stage everyone goes through at some point. But there are some ways of kind of figuring out what information is valid and what isn't. And about social media, I'll, I'll just quickly review one of the topics that I think is super important that I see people get wrong all the time is representativeness, which in the context of chronic illness, that means if I'm encountering someone else on social media and they maybe have my same diagnosis and maybe they're even taking the same medicine as me, are they representative of what I might experience in, in my prognosis or my long-term disease? And it's so tempting to think that everyone's going to be representative because we want to find others who can have a similar experience to us, but actually knowing whether another patient is as re representative of your experience is really, really complicated. I'll give you a quick example. Let's say like I'm on methotrexate and I've been on methotrexate on and off since 2003. And then there might be two other people in a social media group. One of them diagnosed in 1982 before methotrexate was available and biologics were available. And then they get put on methotrexate like in 2001 or something. And then there's somebody who gets diagnosed with mild rheumatoid arthritis in 2019, let's say, all three of us, even though we're all on methotrexate, we're going to have a different prognosis long-term because first of all, my RA and my diagnosis wasn't mild. It was classified as severe. And so already I'm starting behind that person from 2019, but also I've had it for longer. So I'm also behind her, but I'm way ahead of the person diagnosed in 1982 because they had 20 years of disease progression or I can't even do the math. I just did um, before they even got put on methotrexate. So, but it's so tempting to just be like, oh, well, they're on methotrexate and this happened. Therefore it's going to happen to me. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I don't know if you know, because I'm just talking to myself right now, <laughs> knowing whether someone's representative and knowing whether or not you're making the mistake of assuming they're representative when they're not is one of the biggest, most important things for like what I, I mean, for better, lack of a better word, health literacy or like understanding how to make sense of health information when it comes to peer to peer health information. Just be careful to not overgeneralize from someone else's experience that might not be representative of yours. So that's number two is knowing that it'll affect your social life, your own kind of personal, you know, micro social life of like friends and family, but also you're going to become part of this social network, Ooh, the social network of chronic illness warriors. Okay. So number three really nicely stems from what I was just saying at the end about how complicated people's prognoses can be. And just these illnesses, autoimmune diseases are notoriously tricky. So number three is that like, there are, are going to be a lot of gray areas. And like, for me, it's become important to accept that those gray areas exist rather than saying, oh no, I just need to do something different or see a different doctor to get someone to give me a black and white answer. And even just the diagnosis itself, like Dr. Baldaria said, um, you know, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. That means that it's not like there's one silver bullet, like, oh, you have X thing on your blood. You absolutely 
100% for sure have RA. No, they have to do physical exam, medical history, and blood work, you know, to actually determine the diagnosis. So know that gray areas are the norm, not, not the exception when it comes to like rheumatology and autoimmune issues. And not just the you know, ambiguities and gray areas around like, what do you have, but also what should we do? (laughs) There are some like gold standards and there's a lot of research that shows like, okay, certain things are very, very likely to be effective, but it still doesn't mean necessarily anyone can say hundred percent. So understanding gray areas and ambiguity and, and being able to tolerate those, it became such an important skill to me over time. So if I'm saying what I wish I knew in the beginning, it is that, you know, the sooner I could have accepted that gray areas are part of this journey, it probably would have saved me from some unnecessary heartache. Because if you think something's a problem and you try to solve it and it's not actually solvable, you just end up wasting your energy, right? You're like, oh, how can I just make this black and white? I'm just going to figure out how to make it black and white. And you know that problem solving technique only works if that's actually realistically possible. Unfortunately, I think there are some people out there that kind of prey on the vulnerability that patients feel when they kind of start coming to grips with this ambiguity. You know, as we talked about the nutrition episode, you know, anytime someone says, you know, like all you have to do is follow this diet and you're going to cure your RA. I just would, I would caution you to take that with a grain of salt, because if it sounds too good to be true, it, it might be again, at the end of the day, if you're the lucky patient that it works for then that's, that's good. But for you, you know, but, um, you know, the gray areas again are, are more typically experienced. So let's just say there's a thing in science called the null hypothesis, which means like when you're about to do an experiment, the null hypothesis is that nothing will change in the, in the um, experimental group. Meaning let's say you're say, okay, I want to know whether let's use a hot topic. I want to know whether CBD is going to help with my pain. I'm going to say, okay, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to take CBD for my pain. And then on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, I'm going to not take CBD for my pain and, and then rate my pain every, those days and see if CBD worked. The null hypothesis is that it won't work regardless of what we're, what we're testing. It's always kind of that the null hypothesis is that the variable that you're changing will not have an effect. That's kind of how I try to see my prognosis now is that, okay, all I know for sure, and this is kind of where the acceptance and mindfulness comes in, is that like, all I know for sure is the present moment. And so if I have to kind of make an assumption about the future, I'm just going to say, okay, what if it doesn't change? What if my pain never gets worse or never gets better? Like, what can I still do? How can I still function? So the next thing I wanted to talk about was number four, what I wish I knew was that it will you know, living with a chronic illness, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, or, you know, any, I'm thinking about the GI ones, but anything like it's usually going to affect your mental health at some point. Um, but you can learn tools to cope with that. One of the things that's unique about my personal history is that I had a very, very um, untraumatic childhood. Even like my psychologist said, you know, they described, they would describe like my family life and my upbringing as like a positive outlier, which I've always loved that because it's true. I mean, my parents are happily married. I have a very stable family. I really love my brother and sister. Like, I'm not going to say like, yeah, I walked on rainbows like every single day, but it was like 
a realistically like really happy childhood. I felt like for a long time, even after my diagnosis of RA, well, I shouldn't feel bad about it because everything else in my life has gone so well. I shouldn't feel bad about this. It was a double-edged sword. I'm not going to say it was like a bad way to think, but it was like almost like a form of like toxic positivity to myself. For a while, I didn't really engage with like actually just acknowledging that this was hard and that that's okay that it's not easy for me sometimes. So for example, like when I started going to therapy, finally, I finally went to therapy when my son was one year old. And before that, I was like, well, therapy is for people who have like really big problems and like mine aren't that big. Do you know what I mean? It's like gratitude for what you have is so, so helpful. But if you use that gratitude to like minimize your legitimate suffering, that's not helpful, you know, to say, well, and actually I had this great conversation with one of the professors at Vassar. I said, like, I just feel like everything in my life has gone well, except for my health. And so I should be, I should be more grateful. Like I shouldn't make, I shouldn't feel sad about my health situation right now. This is before my diagnosis when I was just suffering from like a mystery ailment that everyone kept telling me, don't worry about it. You're fine. You're not sick. And he was like, well, Cheryl, if it's like essential vitamin, if you have like 200% of every vitamin, except for one vitamin, let's say vitamin Z, you only have 10% you're going to feel that loss. Like the extra vitamin C and vitamin A and vitamin D, they're not going to make up for the lack of Z. It's, it's a different thing and you don't have it, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best truth bomb. His name's Peter Leonard. Anyway, I think he's still there. Hi, Peter, if you're listening. But that was the first step for me being like, oh, like I had to allow myself to feel grief about just what I have been was going through, like going through the, the trauma of being, I'm not believed by people in power who had the power to make me feel better or to understand what my physically was happening with me. I was dismissed repeatedly. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that because I had grown up trusting adults. So I was like, okay, well, um, you know, these doctors are telling me I'm not sick. So I'm not sick. Lo and behold, I actually was sick, you know, and that was a huge blow. That was like, and I should say, again, I'm privileged in terms of socioeconomic. I have white privilege as a Caucasian person. And so I I want to acknowledge that I grew up privileged, but I didn't have health privilege at that time, right? Health privilege or able-bodied privilege is the privilege of living and inhabiting in a body that works. And I didn't have that, but it was worse than not having that. I was told that I had it by the doctors, the people in power, that you're not sick. You're literally just being a hypochondriac. It's like a firefighter coming to someone's house and being like, it's not on fire. Stop calling us. And the person's like, yeah, it's on fire. They're like, no, it's not. Nope. We did the test. It's not on fire. It's such a horrifying feeling looking back. I was really gaslit. Like that's the best way to put it. I want to be clear that I don't think there are any particular providers that like were intentionally gaslighting. I think the doctors believe they were right. They don't even know that they're doing it. <laughs> like, so they think that they've got the right solution. And, and one of my long-term goals, like my like bucket list goals is to do some sort of campaign. Doctors have to be trained to understand what to do about situations where they don't know that the person's not sick, but they don't know that they are sick because the answer cannot be that absence of a diagnosis 
means that you're not sick. If the average time of diagnosis of an autoimmune disease is like five to seven years, that means that person for five to seven years was sick and was being told constantly that they're not sick and that's not acceptable. And I think, yes, there are people out there who have like an illness anxiety disorder where they are truly believing that they're sick when they're not. But to me, it's like, it's almost like the death penalty where like, if you can't be a hundred percent sure that everyone who's getting that is guilty, it's like a non-starter for me, right? Even whether or not philosophically it should have it. Like if you can't be sure that you're inaccurately diagnosing someone as a hypochondriac who isn't, you shouldn't diagnose anyone as a hypochondriac. That's my opinion. Um, nobody asks for it. What I wish I had known is that this will affect your mental health. The disease itself, it can be a stressful thing. You're going to have to learn how to manage. You're going to learn have to learn how to cope. And you know, I've talked, I think every single episode, I've talked about acceptance and commitment therapy, except for maybe the um, diet and exercise ones, but, you know, acceptance-based therapy, acceptance, not meaning resignation, but being able to tolerate or sit with the current present moment from like a mindfulness standpoint, that has been the best for me personally. You know, I just feel like if I could just give everyone a copy of the happiness trap by Russ Harris, it's just been the most helpful thing. So, so just again, prepare yourself. This is not just a physical condition, it affects your, your brain too. And of course, even just this whole idea of like a brain body difference, there is no true difference. Like your brain is part of your body. So then number five uh, is going to be that you're learning how to manage your disease. So this is kind of that CEO level, like where you're the executive director of your life. Like this managing this is a job, <laughs> like managing this chronic long-term disease is a job that it requires a lot of skills and you can learn them and you will learn them over time, but there are harder ways of learning them and there are easier ways of learning them. And so, you know, of course, I happen to think that doing something like my online program, the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap is really, really smart. <laughs> I literally created it for this reason, but of course I'm very biased. So take it from whoever, who, you know, do your research and figure out who you think is going to be the best to help you, but know that learning how to manage the physical symptoms, the pain and the fatigue and knowing how to sort through what amount of exercise is the right amount for you. What kind of dietary interventions are going to be best for you? What can you do to cope, you know, on the mental side of things? What can you do to develop your own little coping toolbox or toolkit? How can you manage your social life? How do you explain this to friends and family, but also how do you manage your symptom tracking and your medication tracking and all these kind of organizational aspects, you know, you have to be in touch with all these different providers and the insurance and then the financial side of things. And then you have to manage your rest of your life, you know, the normal everyday tasks like cooking and cleaning. And, and so know that there are tools out there. Yeah. And just approach it like a job is I guess what I would say. I think I felt really scattered for a while until I learned of this concept called self-management when I went to occupational therapy school and self-management basically means managing all the different ways that your disease affects your life. The symptom tracking, the appointments, um, your kind of game plan for how you're going to manage symptoms like pain and fatigue on a daily basis. And, you know, though that is a skill that you can learn over time and, you know, you can learn it on your own or you can learn it with support. So that's why I created my, my program. Cause I saw a big gap, you know, I saw that people were getting diagnosed and then just told, okay, come back in three months. You cannot in 20 minutes, get enough information from your doctor to figure 
out how to navigate this this new normal. What people end up having to do is kind of piece things together on their own. They have like 25 tabs open in their computer and they're just struggling to reconcile and sort through. It's such a cognitive load. It's almost like when you're trying to learn a new language, it's so laborious. Once you know it, you're just fluent. And I honestly think when you're a doctor or you're a health provider, it's like you just take for granted all that you had to go through to learn that knowledge. Oh, well, the patients will just figure it out. They'll just figure out how to how to exercise and how to figure out, you know, fatigue and how to track their symptoms. They'll just figure it out. Like they don't realize, like they forget, like because they're fluent in that language, they forget like how much went into it, that learning process and that learning curve. And it's just really, really painful. I've noticed for a lot of people, people who try to do it on their own, it's harder than doing it with support, but you also have to do it with the right support. Cause you might find people who, you know, have good intentions, but might lead people down the wrong path. They don't understand. I've been, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you, I have been targeted by certain people who will say, Oh, just do my program. And it's going to heal your RA and cure your RA. And I'm like, I don't agree. <laughs> like, I don't agree that that it is that simple. I, anyone who says that they a hundred percent guarantee that anyone who does their diet program or whatnot can cure it, it is to me, that's false advertising because there's, there is scientifically like nothing out there that's guaranteed to work for everyone. So I think there are alternative medicine programs that are very, that are very balanced in their marketing. And so I'm, I'm not against anything alternate by any means. There's one that's a patient does her own program and it's like based on Ayurvedic medicine. And she says very straightforward, like this may help you. It may it may help you heal parts of the disease. It may not put it in. If you are interested in trying this for your toolbox, this is what's worked for me. And I think that's a really balanced and real reasonable way to approach it. And all these gray areas that I think, again, it, there's this disconnect that, and this is my soapbox of why I created arthritis life, but the information is out there in bits and pieces, right? It's, but it's kind of like trying to learn a language by just going to all these different websites and like piecing together, like, oh, well, this website says this, but this says that you need someone to help you sort through the noise, sort through the bad quality from the good quality information. So I'm not knocking any of the stuff that's already out there. I just, the reason I developed my rheumatoid arthritis roadmap program is I didn't see anywhere where somebody could go through at their own pace something that was comprehensive and covered all of the areas of how it affects your life, not just exercise, not just diet, not just fatigue, not just pain, not just mental, a little bit of everything. It has those things, but it's also the self-management skills of like tracking symptoms and, and communication and social life, how it affects your mental health. Like it has an overview of each one of those things. So that's why the analogy I like to think about it is like, it's kind of like a um, orientation manual for a new job, but it's also like a driver's ed manual. But like at the end of the day, you are in the driver's seat. Like you're not going to have a health provider with you like 24 hours a day. And that's not realistic or reasonable. So when I say that patients need more than like a 20 minute doctor's appointment every three months, I don't mean that they need like a 24 hour appointment every day. They need more support in my opinion at the beginning of their journey to get them off on the right foot to teach them the skills to where they can then run with them on a daily basis and they can sort through the noise on the internet about what's good and what's not and so i feel really passionate about 
the need for this kind of program and obviously the testimonials I've gotten have really helped me know that I'm on the right track. Um, one of the ones that I really liked is from Laura in August. She said, you know, Cheryl's course empowered me to take charge of my newly diagnosed RA. I'd recommend this course to anyone that's feeling overwhelmed and confused by their diagnosis. It provides you with clear, concise information, plus a community of people that are dealing with similar issues. Also, you know, Anne said back in June, I was hesitant to spend money on this course. I totally get that, but I'm so glad I signed up. Cheryl's perspective as both an occupational therapist and a patient, the personal attention she provides and the opportunity to ask questions helped me take more control of my medical journey. And Armani said in June, I now have a solid foundation of practical strategies to live a fulfilling life, even with RA. And that that is really like my heart. Like that's what I want is for people to understand you can have a great life, a fulfilling life, even with RA or despite RA, you don't have to see it as like something that you necessarily have to like cure before you can have a good life. You know, you, there are tools you can use to work around it, to be able to function better in your life. I really love what Melissa said. She said, you know, I cried so many tears of relief during this course because I felt validated for the very first time. It was such an empowering opportunity to learn from Cheryl. I wish I'd had it years ago, but I'm so happy to have it now. And one more, one more. Okay. This is from Sarah in June, getting valuable information each week about the things that really matter to me from someone who gets it was so helpful. I now feel so much less alone and more confident in managing my illness. So of course this week, it is the reason I'm talking about it right at this exact moment is that I'm planning on making the course available three times a year. And it's currently the fall one is available now. And for the first time I'm offering two different options. You can choose to get the online course that has all the 25 videos and the handouts where I walk you through everything, all the step-by-step. This is how to prepare for an appointment. This is how to explain it to your family and friends or some ways that might help. This is what you can put in your coping toolbox. And then um, that's choice A, that's called just the self-study. And then choice B is the premium support where you have eight weeks of weekly group support calls or coaching calls where I lead you in a small group through the course. Um, I Well, you still go through it on your own. You have everything that the self-study has, but then I lead you through an hour-long chat where we have back and forth and connect and you can ask me questions about what has been covered in the course. And so I kind of divide that out into thematic areas just so we're not too scattered, but um, that's called the premium support. And plus it includes an online um, private group where we can also connect and support each other during that during those eight weeks. So then, and then after that, I have a a separate uh, Facebook group for all the graduates. So it's been really, really amazing this year, just um, being able to put this together. You know, I started it in January. I started working on it. And then the first um, beta course came out in March. And obviously that was a really weird time, March and April. I have just been really blown away by the people who've participated in it and just seeing the transformations that they've experienced, like going from being like, I don't know where to go, what to do, 
Like, I don't know how to make sense of this. I feel alone. I'm the only one. Like I have to go through this all on my own. Who's going to help me, you know, to like just the validation, even just someone in the group, you know, saying like, oh yeah, me too. That's just been really, really powerful just to grab things with a tidy bow. So I had the, the five things I wish I had known when I was diagnosed. And then again, these are of course the things that helped motivate me to structure my course the way I have to where it's really comprehensive. I wish a, I had known that it affects more than your joints too. I wish I knew it would affect my social life, but that there were things I could do, but it would affect it in some challenging ways and also some positive ways in terms of opening me to some, the Spoonie community, the online communities. Three is that treatment plans and prognoses are a bit of a gray area and gray areas are just going to be the norm. And I have to kind of get used to ambiguity and things that aren't black and white, which has been hard, but really important. And then four is that, you know, it can affect or it will affect most likely your mental health, but you will learn through therapy (laughs) and through other strategies, you know, how to accept your current state and how to be in the present moment rather than only just focusing on the future, you know, what could go wrong. And then five is that managing it is a job, but you can learn how to do this job. There are ways to do it that are just like any job. There are ways that are more efficient and less efficient. And there are ways that are more painful or less painful. So um, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, It was fun to just share a little bit more about my journey and my story. I do have a 20 minute long video on YouTube and Instagram TV of my like specifically the diagnosis journey and the little fun. um, I'll put that in the show notes, but a tidbit about that is that um, it includes uh, videos of Teddy when he was a tiny puppy because I filmed it in like July, 2019. So um, I, I might maybe turn that into a podcast episode at some point too, but this was kind of like little pieces of my personal story sprinkled through my things I wish I had known. So thanks again. Don't forget to join the free Facebook group, Arthritis Live podcast, practical tips and realistic support <laughs> the longest Facebook name you could possibly have. Okay. Thanks so much. And bye-bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to check out my latest courses and resources on myarthritislife.net. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.